So I'm going to address the uh, elephant in the room so that it can get out of the way. Um, this is, uh, you're, you're, it's not unusual to see Robbie um, here at the stool and the table or whatever because he's cool. And uh, I am not. I'm decidedly not. Um, I, I am here for a specific reason. Um, I, over the last week and a half, have been uh, battling a lot of uh, dizziness. And uh, they are doing... Lots of tests. Um, there's probably some heart rhythm issues going on, um, and uh, and so it's kind of creating some issues. Uh, the issue, the reason why I'm saying it is twofold. Uh, one is I would covet your prayers, um, and I don't worry. I have lots of armchair doctors, um, so I th- we have been to the places. They've done tests and more tests, and we have more tests coming this week. Um, to try to figure things out. So, um, but I, so I would love for you to um, just to keep me and, and my family in your prayers. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, and then the other reason I'm telling you is because, uh, you know, Robbie and I have had this conversation before where um, for a personality like mine, I can't hide things very easily. So, uh, you know, Robbie, I was like, man, Robbie, you could be totally like having the worst day ever and nobody would notice because, you know, Robbie's just kind of steady. Jeff is a lot the same way. Um, But people notice. And so rather than having to have, you know, 28 conversations after the service of like, hey, are you feeling okay? Hey, what's wrong? Um, You know, on Wednesday night, Wednesday night we had discipleship lab and it took all of about 43 seconds before someone said, what's wrong with you? Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so that's what's going on. I don't think there's any, you know, huge cause for concern at this point. So, um, but it does mean that I uh, am a little, I can get a little disoriented, a little foggy in my brain. And, um, and then we just felt like, hey, it'd be better if I was sitting and didn't like topple over. I don't think that's going to happen. It has not happened yet. I have yet to fall over uh, during this time. So, um, but uh, it, we just thought it'd be better to make that um, happen. I also have been, you know, told, hey, try to keep as calm as possible. <laughs> I said, well, you know, the doctor said, you don't, you do, the doctor asked, like, well, you, do you have a stressful job? And I said, nope. And uh, he said, do you do anything where you have to, like, get really excited about it? Nope, we're good. Um, no, so fortunately, I am so calm all the time when I preach, so we, are, we should be fine. Um, so, that's out of the way. Now you can know, we can turn our attention to Acts chapter 4. Before we pray, I do want to also mention, it got pointed out to me last week. I'm curious, show of hands, how many of you last week were super distracted by the fact that we skipped a passage? Oh my goodness. Okay, so there are a few of you. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Right, yeah. Most of you are like, yeah. So that's what I said. So somebody had brought that up. Be like, man, that was getting at me the whole sermon. I was having a hard time focusing because we skipped like this chunk of, of, of scripture um, and we didn't mention it. And I was like, yeah, I think you're unusual, is what I said to the person. And uh, um, I didn't say weird, I just said unusual, as evidenced by the fact that like three of you were bothered by that. Well, we're going back. The, the thing was that Jeff and I just swapped and Rather than swapping the passages we were preaching, we just swapped the weeks that we were preaching them. So uh, we are going to be in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. So would you pray with me? Father, 
every day we need you. And every day, in every moment, it is your strength, not ours. It is your power, not ours. It is your words, not ours. It is your wisdom, not ours. And there are times where that is made even more clear. So this morning, Father, I just rely on your strength. I rely on my confidence that, Holy Spirit, you are doing a work in the lives of this church family and that you will bring to bear all that you have predestined to bring to bear this morning. So, Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. We ask for your strength. We ask that you'd help us to understand all that you would have for us and love it and see it as good news. We ask you to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So catching up, the, if we kind of jump back in time here in Acts 4, we see Peter and John getting arrested. And so what we see here is a little shift in the church. What we see is um, a shift that... Uh, that they have been, they, they're finally facing persecution, right? So, so they have preached the gospel. They've seen thousands of people come to Christ. But this is the first account we have in Acts of them facing the kind of opposition and persecution that they saw Jesus deal with. And so we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how, um, Jesus, like how Jesus was brought before the council and now Peter and John are and, and, and how they handle themselves in front of the council. And eventually they are released. And it says that when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Remember, they had said to them, Don't, um, we, we, we can't really hold you, but we're telling you, do not um, preach in this name of Jesus anymore. And if you remember Peter and John's response is, well, whether we should obey God or you, we'll let you, uh, we'll let you decide. But... Um, we have no choice but to preach about what we have seen and what we have heard. And so um, they, they are sent back and they report to their friends um, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, when the friends heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It's really a, an incredible description 
of how the early church immediately responds to the persecution that is at hand. Last week, Jeff talked about you know, the passage that's, that follows this and talked about how they all had all these things in common, how amazing it was that they kind of all spontaneously just started living this life. Right? It wasn't like they had, had, they had thousands and thousands of people, probably around 10,000 people or more. And in those 10,000 people, all of a sudden, immediately, they start living this life of selling what they have and giving to one another and being together and loving one another and serving the poor. They didn't have any church administration. They didn't have any great like eight-week sermon series on how, like, how they should live this out. Right? Like they had no, they, they had leadership, but it was only spiritual leadership in, in seeing and speaking the word of God. They just all immediately got it. And the reason they all immediately got it is because they had all been transformed miraculously by the Holy Spirit and their whole lives had been turned upside down. Well, we see the beginning of that in how they respond to the persecution. Can you imagine having Peter and John come back and tell you? I mean, imagine if, like, Robbie and I got arrested and we got pulled in and then we came back on a Sunday with all of you and we said, hey, they arrested us and they told us we can't any longer preach the gospel. What do you think our response would be? Like, I think a lot of our response would be, oh, they can't do that. We got we to fight against that. We can't, they, can't, they can't tell you what to do. Like, we, we've got rights here. We can defend that. Like, I've got a cousin who's a, a lawyer, and, and like, we're gonna, I've got some other people that we, we know this, and I, I've got these people who fight in these ways, and so we, we're going to call them together, and we're going to make sure that they know they can't tell us what to do. But the early church prays. They have zero response to what the persecution was. Their response is to go to God. And look what they start with. Look at in verse 24. They lift their voices together and they say, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The very first thing that they do here is they acknowledge God, this is all from you. You're sovereign. You're the one that I'm going to about this. They're not going down and leading a protest against the the council. They are turning to God. God, you're the one who did this. This all came. You are the sovereign God over all things. So why would we go anywhere else with what's happening here? We we go to you. And then he they they say, like, through the mouth of our father David. Your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So what, what, he's, what they're pointing out now is they're praying like, God, you are sovereign over all things. And God, you said this was going to happen. This is what you declared through David. You spoke And told us that when your servant comes, that the people would gather against him. That there would be opposition. And they're saying, like, you prophesied about this. And then they say, for truly in the city. And it happened. So truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, 
whom you anointed, so Jesus you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And look what's happening here. In the face of the very first persecution, they turn immediately to God. God, you are sovereign over all things. God, you said this was all going to happen. And now they've turned on us. And what is their prayer at that point? God, you predestined this was going to happen. This all happened to Jesus. And now all of that has turned to us. So God, now make all of it stop. God, please take away all of it. God, please give us our comfortable lives back. God, we changed our minds. God, find somebody else. Now, he said, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They don't pray anything about the persecution, only that they would be faithful, only that they would continue to speak the word with boldness. They're praying is, God, don't let us get discouraged. Don't let us fall away. Don't let us be unfaithful. Why aren't they praying for the persecution to stop? Why aren't they praying that God would, would create a better path for them, an easier path, a, a platform of, of influence and power? Why are they not doing it? And I think it's relatively simple. It's because they know who is doing all of this. So remember, they, they are saying God is sovereign. They know who is doing it. So if God wanted to do something else, he would do it. So they know who is doing it. They know what the plan is, and they know how they are to respond. Right? They know who is doing it. They believe it is all from God's hand. They acknowledge this by reminding one another, sovereign Lord who made all the heavens and the earth. And then they talk about the, how people had gathered against Jesus and saying that Pontius Pilate... And Herod, they did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They did not see the persecution against Jesus or the persecution against themselves as something strange. They did not see it as something that was outside of God's control. They saw it as his plan. They saw him as the one behind it. They know what the plan is. They aren't surprised because this is what Jesus said would happen and what David had pointed out long ago. They aren't discouraged by the opposition because opposition is the plan. I think so often we get discouraged by opposition. We get discouraged when things don't work the way that we want them to work or that we planned for them to work. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like God is calling you to do something and then it gets really hard and then you question if you heard God correctly. Yeah? 
You get in a situation where you say, okay, well, I, I mean, I hear it all the time, and, and it comes up in my own heart. I thought God was calling me to take this job, and now this job is really hard. I thought God was calling us to move to this place, but now, now this, like, this neighborhood is hard. It's, it's difficult. It's been hard to, to live here. I thought God was, was calling me to, to uh, do this other thing over here, but that road was, was tough. I don't know where we got this idea that evidence that God is in something is that the road is smooth and easy. Because we certainly didn't get it from Scripture, and they understand that. They're not discouraged by the opposition because it's the plan. Right? Do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you as though something strange were happening to you because it's the plan. Do not be surprised. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. It's the plan. They aren't discouraged because they're not surprised. And they're not surprised because it's the plan. Now, why is that the plan? Why does it have to be the plan? Like, why couldn't God just say, like, well, that's, hey, change your plan. Everyone's going to think it's awesome. And everyone's going to think you're great. Because that's not how it works. The reason why they know opposition is going to be the plan is because God's kingdom is invading the kingdom of darkness. And those kingdoms cannot coexist. They will collide. And the early church knows this. God's kingdom is a threat to the kingdoms of the world. He will turn it all upside down. Remember last week, Jeff talked about this. He talked about when things go wrong, like if I'm pursuing my kingdom and you're pursuing your kingdom, things might be okay for a little bit, but as soon as we both are going after the same thing, as soon as our two kingdoms are competing over the same thing, well, now they collide and bad things happen. James 4 talks about like what causes quarrels among you. Is it not this? You want things that you don't have. You go after things that you can't get. And somebody else wants that same thing and you fight over it. See, when my kingdom collides with your kingdom, there's a problem. So kingdoms can kind of coexist as long as there's no conflict. But as soon as there's conflict, one, one has to give in to the other. At some, some point, God's kingdom of light is colliding and clashing with the kingdom of darkness. It's invading through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so the early church is not surprised. I wonder why we are. I wonder why we're surprised often when, when following Jesus leads us into a point of conflict or opposition in the world. I'll get back to that. So the early church is not surprised. Jesus has warned them. They are quoting the Old Testament and they've always known this. This is the plan. And so their response is not, hey God, what's the deal? What gives? Like some of us have prayed before. God, what, what happened? I thought I did everything you asked me to do, but now this is really hard. What gives? But the early church says, God, we knew this was going to happen. Now give us boldness to continue to be faithful. Because they know this is the plan and they know that their response is what matters. They don't pray that the persecution would stop. They don't pray that God would wipe out their enemies. It's interesting why. Think about that. This is what the psalmist prays often, right? 
Anybody ever read through the Psalms and felt really uncomfortable when David's like, and kill everybody. Wipe them all out. And some of you feel uncomfortable. Some of you feel empowered and you're like, yes, amen. So why don't they hear? What's happened? What's different? The cross. We don't see them pray that God would wipe out all their enemies and all that would oppose them because Jesus already did it on the cross. And they are trusting in that victory. They see in the cross what God's plan is. Remember when Peter, the rest, when Jesus is being arrested in the garden, Peter draws out his sword because Peter is thinking, man, you got to stay alive. Like, I'll die, but you've got to live. And they see that no. Jesus came to die. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit now to trust in this plan. They see it now. They are given wisdom. Oh, this is what you've been saying all along. We know why the nations rage. Because your kingdom is colliding with theirs. It's your plan. Okay, if this is your plan, then help us to be faithful. Look, if you want to remain faithful, if, you want to, if you've ever wondered, okay, God, why, what's, your, what's your deal here? Like, why, why are things going the way that they're going, whether it's in the, the world or in the country or in your community or in your life? We've got to have these basic things that we can look at in them and, and say, okay, we've got to hold on to these things. Namely, that we know who is doing it. We need to stop looking at our external circumstances as though they, like other people, are in control of those things. God is sovereign over all things. If you're upset with how your neighbor is living, go to God with it. It's from His hand. They know who is doing it, they know what is coming, they are, they are prepared. And they know how they are to respond. To be bold in declaring the good news that the kingdom of God has come to earth through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and to demonstrate their allegiance to that kingdom. That's ultimately our calling. As we walk through this life, our role is not to control circumstances around us, to not become preoccupied and distracted and dominated by all the stuff that's going on around us. It is to seek first the kingdom of God, to declare the good news of the kingdom, and to live a life that demonstrates that that is where our citizenship is. Like there's a couple of ditches that we fall into when we get into this, when we realize, like, okay, so I shouldn't be surprised that conflict arises. I shouldn't be surprised at the opposition that, that comes out at us. And there are a couple of ditches. One, one is there, there are those people who fall into the ditch of then they see everything as a fight. Opposition is everywhere. Right? So I'm going to fight everything. I, wouldn't, I, would, I would ask you to raise your hands, but I don't want to out you guys that are like, but that's me. I start to see everything. as like, you know, all right, well then let's fight this battle. Let's fight this battle. And so we want to pick fights in everything. Like, I'll fight the government on masks. I'll fight the school on prayer. I'll fight my neighbor and how he cuts his lawn. Like, I'm ready. That's not what we're talking about. The other ditch is those who try really hard to make peace 
between God and their own kingdoms, peace with God and the world. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to, I don't want to be seen as unloving. If we just kind of go with the flow and go along with whatever, anytime, any place, then, then everything will be fine. That'll be peace. But that isn't what's going on here. If that's how the church had reacted, Peter and John would have come back to the people and said, hey, they're really serious about keeping us from preaching this name, so let's think of more subtle ways we can do it. Let's just keep it quiet, kind of on the DL. Hey, you know what? Let's just go about living a life like Jesus, and then they'll eventually figure it out. We don't need to worry about it. Let's just, let's just dial back on the whole speaking thing. They don't say that. It's because they know that God overthrows the kingdom of the world with the qualities of heaven. He overcomes evil with good. He overcomes the wise of the world with foolish. He uses the weak to shame the strong. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the upside down way of the kingdom is this. That God will overthrow the kingdom of darkness with the peacemakers. Think about that for a second. God will overthrow the kingdom of darkness with children of light. Because the message is to be reconciled to God. We're the peacemakers between man and God. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. And so we implore, we are ambassadors of Christ, right? So we implore on behalf of God, like we plead to people, be reconciled to God. Our fight is not with the culture. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our message, our declaration is there is a kingdom and that kingdom has come and that kingdom has a king. And our plea is that you would become reconciled to him. To lay down other kingdoms, to lay down your life so that you would find it. That's why we have to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's why we can't just do these things in our own strength or just unite ourselves around biblical principles and think that that's going to work. We have to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit because those of us who like a good fight don't want to hear about humility and patience and turning the other cheek. And those of us who just want everyone to get along and be seen as loving don't want to hear about kingdoms clashing with one another and having to take a stand. Jesus Christ turned the world upside down by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what do we do with all this? I mean, we can look at what the early church does and they respond and how they respond and we can still be left with, yeah, but, but how? I think we have to ask ourselves the same questions that are answered in this passage. So he said that they believed that God was sovereign. Do you? Like we love to say God is in control, God has a plan, God works all things together for good. Do you believe it? Do you believe it when you get a bad medical test back? Do you believe it when you get fired? Do you believe it when your spouse leaves? Or do we function as though 
really it's kind of chaotic and we can't really trust what's happening and the wind and the, the storms are going on about us and, and we have to somehow try to figure out how are we going to control all that? How can we make sure things stay calm? Do we believe that God is sovereign? They knew that opposition was the plan. Do you believe it? Or do you believe that there's a way to kind of work some kind of a, a treaty between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world or the kingdoms of my own heart? We do that really well. We try really hard. We try to mesh them together. We try to put our hope and we say that a, a political party is God's political party as if that exists. We say a nation is God's nation as if that exists. They're, they're all so, God is sovereign over all nations, whether they worship him or not. But none of us are fully God's kingdom. But we do it even in our own personal kingdoms, right? Like we believe, like, okay, God, I think I can work out a truce between what I really want and my desires and my kingdom and all the things that I'm pursuing in my life and your kingdom. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of my pursuits, all the things I want, all the things I value, and I'm going to put like a kind of a Christian coating onto it. I'm going to say it's for you, even though really ultimately when push comes to shove, it's for me. I'm going to, I'm going to say that I'm doing it by faith, even though you and I both know that I'm really trusting in my own strength in this. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to spend some time there. I'm going to give a little bit, but then I'm going to use the rest of my money however I want. I'm going to go to church and give time there, but I'm going to spend the rest of my week however I want. I'll love people who are kind to me and that I like hanging out with. But then I'm only going to hang out with the people that, that I like hanging out with. And what we end up doing is we believe that we can serve two masters. And what the early church was very aware of was that this was not possible. They knew that they could not serve two masters. They knew that eventually these kingdoms were going to collide, and at that point, they were to demonstrate and declare their allegiance to God's kingdom. There is no dual citizenship in heaven. On earth, we, so here's a fun fact. I used to think that the U.S. didn't recognize dual citizenship. I don't know, maybe you were with me on that. They actually, we actually do. We do recognize it. We're fine with it. There's no, there's no law against it. It's totally fine. So um, if, you're, if you're from Canada and you're a citizen of Canada, you can be a citizen of the U.S. too, and the U.S., they're, they're good with it. Until a certain point. If Canada declares war. I'm picking a country. I don't think that's going to happen. Or they're pretty slow to anger. Although, you can even push maple leaves too far. Listen. What the United States says essentially is totally fine with you having dual citizenship as long as that country is not at war with us. And that is what happens sometimes in a nation that has a lot of Christian values and feels Christian is we can get fooled into thinking there's dual citizenship. We can get fooled into thinking, okay, but mostly I can follow God and be obedient to him and like succeed in my kingdom, like succeed in my world here and succeed in my country and my, and my pursuits and in, in, in the workplace and in family endeavors. Like, so they, they kind of work side by side. They seem like they're not, they're not in conflict with one another. 
And that works until there's a conflict. That works until those kingdoms clash. And what we see is that they will always clash. And if I had to, if I had to point out something that I've seen that grieves me in the American church, is it's been the wrestling of that. It's the being surprised that there was opposition. It's important to know that those kingdoms will clash, so that we stop being shocked when those kingdoms clash. And it is important in our own lives. Along with God's sovereignty, they also believe, remember, that God is building these platforms. So we talk about this a lot. We talk about how um, we have, that God is always building a platform. Every day you are being built a platform from which you get to declare and demonstrate allegiance to a kingdom. The question is simply, what kingdom are you going to declare and demonstrate your allegiance to? Is it the kingdom of yourself or the kingdom of God? We declare by telling people about this Jesus and demonstrating the worth of his kingdom by submitting to it. That's, remember, that's what Peter and John do when they, when they tell him, they charge him, not, don't preach in this name anymore. And they say, like, look, if, you, if you're going to tell us, like, do we listen to you or God, we're going to let you judge on that. But this is what we have to do. They're demonstrating and declaring their allegiance. Our allegiance is to God, not to you, not to man. And so God is constantly building a platform for us to be able to declare and demonstrate that. And sometimes that's a platform of blessing. And that is also what we have experienced in this country a lot of. That we've been given a platform. Many people have said like, hey, we've been given this platform as a country. And so we should use that well. I agree full heart, wholeheartedly. Amen. Sometimes we have platforms of blessing, but they are always so that we can be a blessing to others. That our focus should not be on that platform, but on the power that comes through it. So do not, do not, do not fear losing that platform. Like God may allow a, allow a platform to be torn down so that another one can be built in its place. That may be what's happening in our country right now. Like as long as we have a platform of blessing and influence, then let's use it to serve others and to be a blessing. And there have been a lot of incredible things that the American church has done over the last couple of hundred years that have been as a result of the platform that God has given us. We've sent missionaries all over the globe. We've built hospitals in places where it's not profitable at all to give medical care to the poor. We've translated the Bible into who knows how many languages so people could read God's word in their own heart language. We've experienced, like we've written and, and contributed so much to theological understanding and biblical understanding and teaching. We've supported so many things. And it's incredible. And we praise God for it. But the temptation is to then think that the power is in that platform. To think that God worked in all those ways because we had this platform rather than to realize it is God who does it. Like the point of the platform 
is to put our lives on display. It is not where the power is. Nobody goes to a concert and says, leaves saying, man, did you see that stage? That stage was amazing. If you do, then something was wrong with the concert, right? Like if that's the thing that you got, like if you go to a concert, like imagine going to a concert where a friend is performing, right? And then afterwards they say, hey, what'd you think? And you're like, the stage was really nice. Probably says something, right? The point is not the stage. It's not the platform. It's the lives that are on display. It's the words that we speak, the lives that we live. The platform is a tool. And if we don't realize it, then we will fight to keep the platform. And when we do that, that's when those kingdoms are going to clash. We will say, whatever we do, we have to make sure we keep our rights because we've used our rights of free speech to declare God's gospel, to declare the good news. Yes, amen, we have. That's great. And if God tears that right down, he will build another platform in its place. Because right now, the gospel is spreading the fastest in places where it is illegal to share the gospel. He's not deterred by any of that. He has the power, not the platform. And so if you have a platform of blessing, be a good steward of it. If you have a platform of suffering, then don't waste it wishing that you were on a different platform. That's what the enemy wants. He wants to distract you with it. He wants to discourage you with it. Imagine how this story in Acts ends differently if they, if they ended discouraged and scared of what was coming. They're not naive. They see the threats. Their flesh wants to be afraid, but what they pray for is boldness. God, give us courage. They're asking for courage because they need courage. If they were flippant about what was going on, they would not be praying for courage. If they felt they could handle it in their own strength, if they looked at it and they're like, oh, this is a piece of cake, we got this, they would not be praying for boldness. They're praying for boldness because they need boldness. And so when you are on a road of suffering and that's where the opposition is hitting and God's kingdom is clashing with the kingdom that you had set before yourself, don't feel discouraged by the fact that you're discouraged. Don't feel like you're lacking faith because you're scared. Ask God for boldness. Ask him for courage. The power is in God. And they know this. That's why they're saying, okay, God, we're going to pray that you, would, um, that you would give us power to, and, and boldness to declare this. But we also pray, God, that you're going to do signs and wonders and miracles. Because we know it's your power that is going to change lives. And like I said, if we think, if we get fooled into thinking and getting distracted by our platforms and getting distracted by the circumstances around us, then that's what we are going to fight over. We'll be Peter cutting off the soldier's ear and then running and hiding. Only a short time later, to willingly be arrested and go before the council. Think about that. Think about the change. Remember we've talked about this, the change of Peter? There's one of the big changes. One of the huge changes is before when he's threatened with arrest, he draws his sword to fight, and then he runs and, and flees and, and hides in fear. 
after he's indwelled by the Holy Spirit, he says, arrest us. And he goes before the council and he says, we're going to keep preaching in this name. That's the power of God. Or do you think that Peter went through some really awesome evangelism training in those few months? Maybe he heard like the world's greatest sermon on disciple making. No. He was indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the power of God to change how we view things, to change what our lives are about, and to change how we respond and live in the midst of it. I want to end with some application and just some real world examples. And I know, hey, look, and if this is your first time, just know that what has happened here multiple times is a voice in my head saying, calm down, calm down. And so it's not allowed me to go down paths that I want to come, go down. So I am just praying and hoping that the Holy Spirit is going down though, so that the Holy Spirit will give you the rant that you need today. It's not going to come from me today. But when you think about that, I just want you to consider your life for a moment and think what would change if you believed that every day God was building a platform for you to declare the good news about the kingdom of God and to demonstrate your allegiance to it. What would that look like? If you looked at everything as a platform, how you're treated at work, how you're treated at a restaurant, what happens to the stock market, what happens when your child disobeys in public and embarrasses you, what happens when someone sins against you, what if instead always seeing it only in relationship to my kingdom and how this thwarts what I'm pursuing and what I want and what I think I deserve and what I'm entitled to, what if I saw it as, oh, God, you're building a stage? And how will I glorify your kingdom? How are you, how is this an opportunity to tell somebody or show somebody my allegiance is to God? I am a part of this kingdom. To consider what kingdom am I glorifying right now? The kingdom of my personal rights or the kingdom that will one day make all things right? The kingdom of earthly treasures or a kingdom of heavenly ones? that will never fade away. The kingdom of earthly freedom for my own gain and comfort or true freedom through dying to myself and gaining Christ. The kingdom of preserving my own life or the kingdom of laying down my life so that I would find it. Do I look at the blessing that I receive so that I would use it on myself or that I would be a conduit to be a blessing to others? Do I look at the suffering that is in my life as an affront and a sin against my own kingdom and my own plans? Or do I see it as an opportunity to tell people that Jesus is better?
you have a successful business, it is a platform to demonstrate the kingdom of God by how you treat employees and not just when it benefits your bottom line. If you have health in your life right now, it is a platform to demonstrate the kingdom, the value and worth of the kingdom of God by serving others with your good health and with your energy, not to just spend it on your own pursuits. If our country has freedom of speech, it's a platform to declare the good news of the kingdom of God. Not to use all of our words to fight to keep those rights. If you have a platform of cancer, it's a platform to demonstrate what you mean when you say Jesus is enough. His grace is sufficient. To demonstrate that you believe in a kingdom that is coming and life everlasting. If you have a platform of an unjust employer in a very difficult work environment, it is a platform to demonstrate that you work not for man but for the Lord and so that you can go about your work with joy because you are working in his presence, not with grumbling and complaining about how you should be treated. The power is not in the platform. The power is in the spirit transforming us and living, working through us in the midst of every platform that he has given us. It is not in thinking, if I just had a different platform, God, then I could could glorify you better. It is found in whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Hopefully, um, do you guys remember when we had a pandemic? Anybody remember that? Some of you that are younger, you might not remember this. There was a time where uh, the government made requests of us. And I'm hoping that the, the pandemic is getting more in our review, rear view mirror so that we can look back on that and say, okay, how did we, how did we deal with that? And you, you have to know that the elders of this church dealt with all those things through, through prayer and seeking God and trying to be faithful. And with these values in mind, God, you've given us a platform. How do we declare your goodness and your kingdom? And so that is why, and now we look back and we say, and we kind of assess that and say, okay, did we do that? Were we faithful in that? And so that's why we made some of the decisions we did. They say we can't gather indoors. Okay, we'll gather outdoors. They say we have to wear masks. All right, we'll sing louder so so we're still heard. And we do it as a way of loving the community and demonstrating that the kingdom of God is much bigger than a building, much more powerful than a piece of cloth, We use it to glorify God. When through blessing to bless others, when through suffering to worship God in the midst of it. And we don't get distracted by things that are not the thing. There could very well come a day where you will be fired if you profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
It's hard to imagine. But let me ask you this. Does that seem more likely now than it did 15, 20 years ago? Sure. I've had people say like, don't you think this is happening? Don't you think you could get arrested one day for preaching the gospel? My answer is, yeah. Which is always funny because that throws them off. Because they assume that my, my ever calm demeanor is, is because I don't think those things could happen. It is not. It is because as long as God has me up here to preach, I will preach. And if he gives me a platform of something else, then I will declare his goodness on that platform. And I will pray for courage and boldness all along the way because I will tell you it is not in me naturally. Because I am naturally a chicken. I like to fight and conflict, but only in theory. Okay? But I will pray for boldness. And I'll pray for you in that. And here's the good news. If you go into every day like that, you can hold on to the promise that Satan cannot destroy your platform beyond the redemption of Jesus. Satan cannot do anything to you that does not ultimately flow from God's sovereign hand. One pastor refers to Satan as a barking dog on a leash. He's chained to a tree. Read Job if you want to know more about what that looks like. But everything that happens to you, every platform can be used to declare the goodness of God. Every single one. Nothing is beyond the redemption of Jesus. The kingdom of God will not be stopped. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The kingdom of God will not be stopped. And we will. Those that trust in Jesus will get to enjoy him forever with an ever-increasing joy. So church, let that be what we hold on to. Our God is sovereign. He has a plan. Those kingdoms are going to collide. But every opportunity is a platform that is built to declare the good news of the kingdom of God who has come to save sinners, to reconcile the lost, to make them sons and daughters. And we get to demonstrate that we are citizens of that kingdom by functioning as kingdom children, no matter what comes. And we will pray for boldness to live those lives as he does his miracles, as he changes lives around us and as he heals people and as he does things that are in- inexplainable and we get to say, that's the kingdom. Let's encourage one another to do that. Let's pray. Father God, the irony is not lost on me that I have to preach this morning in large part about your amazing power while not being able to rely on any of my own strength to declare that power. Only you would plan a sermon about boldness and power when I have to be quiet and meek.
and I'm in awe of you right now because that is exactly like you. So God, I pray that it would be so clear. I know there are people in this room. I know there are people in this room who just woke up. But I also know there are people in this room whose hearts have been stirred. And I pray, God, that you would make it so clear that it is obviously not because of the words of men, but the only way that there is a stirring right now is because of your presence, that they would recognize you, Holy Spirit, and that if they have already trusted in you, that they would submit to you and they would listen to your voice and obey you. And if they have not trusted in you, that they would turn and that they would say, I believe. Please forgive me. I want to live for your kingdom. And God, we ask for boldness to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that God takes rebels and makes them his sons and daughters. That God has made a way for peace, to make peace with his enemies. And that we would demonstrate, that we would have boldness to demonstrate that we belong to that kingdom, that our allegiance is to that kingdom by overcoming evil with good by loving our enemies, by praying for those who persecute us, by believing in the way of Jesus, by being characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, by love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. They would know us by our love for one another and that they would see our boldness as children of the King. Pray all this in Jesus' name.